It makes such a big difference, this vaccine. It helps us go back to our normal life, and I'm so glad to see all the residents here this morning. That's what it sounded like last week inside Montreal's Maimonides Geriatric Hospital. It's the largest government nursing home catering to Montreal's Jewish community. A celebration to mark V-Day. A year ago, on December the 14th, 2020, Gloria Laluz became the second person in Canada there to get a COVID vaccine. That the national rollout began at Maimonides is no accident. In the spring of 2020, the pandemic ripped through the place. The facility was understaffed to begin with, underprepared, and although the place eventually went into lockdown and the army was called in, COVID left a trail of death. 67 residents died of COVID to date. The arrival of the vaccine a year ago this month was seen as a beacon of hope and changed the course. Activities have resumed. The synagogue that was once used as a COVID isolation hot zone now welcomed the residents in masks to sit at decorated tables. There were cookies. A rabbi recited a memorial prayer for the dead. And camera crews and reporters were invited in to see how life at Maimonides is as normal as safely possible under the circumstances. Sadly, Omicron arrived soon after to spoil the party. I don't go out of this room without a mask on, and I think that everyone else should too. They should be careful, and we should be protecting them still. We can't say that we're okay. If I see a number like 2,300 in Quebec, I'm not not scared. I'm worried, and I don't think we're safe, period. It's sad that a year later, we still have so many worries. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, December the 20th, 2021. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. A lot has changed since the first vaccines were rolled out at Maimonides. There's handwashing and social distancing and vaccinations and boosters for all the residents and for most staff. Although in Quebec, the government did back down from forcing workers to be vaccinated, so those who aren't have to be tested every couple of days. And while there are three inquiries underway, including a coroner's inquest and a report by the Ombudsman, which came out already with 27 recommendations, are they ready for what Omicron could bring? Coming up, you'll hear from two people about their COVID experiences, Jennifer Clark of the Quebec Public Health Department and from longtime patient advocate Beverly Spanier. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Dr. Sharon Cohen in Toronto, Canada, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. A couple from Halifax has organized a national benefit concert to raise money to help the victims of flooding in B.C. and in the Atlantic region, too. Sandra Rutman and Jason Brown teamed up with friends to put on the Great Canadian Flood Relief Show. She's a nurse. He's a professor and a Beatles expert. It's a two-part concert. The first was Sunday. The second one goes Monday. They got 34 performers to do songs, including some big names like Alex Cuba, Lenny Gallant, Alan Silliboy, James Keelahan, Danny Michelle, and Odds. All the money goes to the Red Cross as both coasts are coping with the damage from devastating floods. The shows start at 2 o'clock each day Pacific time, 5 Eastern or 6 Atlantic, and you can watch it on demand if you missed it on their Facebook page or directly on the website, floodrelief.com. Beverly Spanier is a retired teacher and disability rights advocate and lives at the Donald Berman Maimonides Center. 
She did not attend the celebration to mark the arrival of the vaccine, but she did go to a smaller one on her own floor because she felt it was safer. She joins us now. What was your first reaction when you heard that they were going to have a one-year anniversary? Um, What went through your mind when you heard about what they were planning? My reaction was the same as the reaction I had a year ago when they wanted me to be first and that they wanted me to go outside in the midst of the press. I was very worried about coming into contact with large numbers of people. I still believe that we do not understand the seriousness of what happened here and that it is not a major celebration of a one-year event. We went through a year of grave difficulties. I'm a Holocaust survivor's daughter. And basically, I know that you do not celebrate. You have to memorialize what happened here and be grateful to the people who made the vaccines. Certainly, there were individuals out there who tried very hard, did an excellent job of it, um, and, and that, that, that's good to honor. But I didn't see this as a balloon and, and cake day. I saw it very differently. We have to look at, at the, this, this COVID business was a serious, serious enemy. And that's the way to look at, at what we have to deal with. And we're not, it's not over yet. What were the major areas uh, that were failures of both the Maimonides uh, administration and the, the local public health people and the Quebec government that caused 60 people to die and so many others to get sick. Where I think errors were made, and I have no way of knowing exactly, supposedly the Quebec government said, don't take the COVID victims out and send them to the hospital, leave them in your institutions. Well, when you do that, they set up miniature little hospitals here, one in the synagogue, I think you all know about it. Um, one was in a, another room in the gym, another ended up being in what was the staff lounge before. I don't, I wasn't in them, so I don't know how they were manned. And I, when I got COVID, five days after I had my first COVID shot, I went directly to the Royal Victoria Hospital. I went to the Jewish first, then they switched me over. But basically, I think that you need a lot more medical presence in these institutions. Right now, we have on my particular unit when the doctor can come, and it isn't every week, we have a couple of hours of medical presence in person a week. They used to have rounds on weekends. They used to have more medical presence here, but they have less now. And I think that's an error because you cannot allow people with the kind of health that we have, and I include myself, we need to be cared for in the best possible way, and we need enough coverage to do so. When we know we had an electrical failure here, and I saw some mistakes, the electricity went down in the area of Cote St. Luke. It, it was only an hour and 20 minutes, but it was longer. The province had 300,000 out at one point. We, I have a BiPAP machine and it, it didn't work. It went out because there was no way to plug it in. And I think that we also had very few staff on the floor. We had, I think, uh, when they called her in, we had one PAB on this side and we had a, an LPN who, who took the work and, and acted as a PAB. But basically we don't have enough staff here for emergencies and we certainly need emergency contingency plans in place in case things do not, do not go on as they should have. And during the COVID pandemic, it was new. No one knew to do testing or right now we, we 
check people when they come in the floor. It's a whole different system that has been established, but it wasn't there when this started. We have another issue now, which I think is a problem for our post-COVID situation. I believe that even in a residence, masks should stay on when you're outside of your room. I do not believe that we still do not need to keep a certain distance from everyone. I do not believe we should have large numbers in any one room for any kind of functions. I think we have to keep distances and we have to be careful because we're not out of the woods. And right now the staff goes to the second floor here and they are told where they're going to go. So staff members are floating around from floor to floor, from unit to unit. You, you don't have any sense that your PAB will be the same one because they, they're moved around and you don't develop relationships. I think it's wrong. I think you have to be very careful what you do. We, we're not ever going to go back to what we were before. Now, what should the Jewish community be doing differently or better that it hasn't done, in, in your opinion, to make sure this is a better place? When I look at the Jewish community, I think they have tried. Some of them have cameras in the room, they look all the time. They've hired extra staff to take care of the, the families that are here. They don't leave them alone. We need, I would like to, someone mentioned to me last night, and I would like to say this, the Jewish community could do this. We could just plant a tree. This is a PAB who suggested to me, plant a tree in the backyard in memory of those we lost during COVID. Just plant the tree and put up a little plaque. And this is very important to me. Jennifer Clark is with the Public Health Department in the West End of Montreal. She's responsible for Maimonides and a dozen publicly funded long-term care facilities, including Jewish elder care and Mount Sinai. Even though we're calling this a celebration, um, it really was also a moment to to remember those that we have lost and and the hard times that, that we went through and also are going to be going through. I don't think anybody um, is naive enough to say that we're out of this. You know, we're certainly not. And especially with the news now of the variant and, and the rise in cases across the province, and in across Canada and across the world, really, um, it would be, like I said, naive to say that we're out of the woods. Um, so I think, you know, knowing that we still have some hard times ahead of us, um, but also knowing that we've learned so much in the last year about the virus and about how to protect ourselves. And the fact that, you know, the, the, the vaccine was was one of those things that we have in our arsenal to protect us is 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 wonderful. And since the introduction of, of the vaccine, we we've haven't had the, the cases that we had had in the past. We hadn't had an outbreak since the introduction of the vaccines at Maimonides in, in particular. So what are the challenges that are still faced by, um, you know, by your organization in running Maimonides and other places? I think it's the same challenges that we see across uh, Canada, really. I mean, there's a staffing shortage in healthcare in, in general, and specifically with uh, registered nurses. Um, so this was felt across the board. Um, and the staffing model that we have in long-term care is very different than some other, uh, what we call acute care sites or hospital settings. Um, so in long-term care, we typically have, you know, one registered nurse for, you know, 35 clients or so. So, you know, when you have that one person who's not there, it has a significant impact on the care. I think moving forward now too, is certainly we've, we've, you know, added more staff in there knowing that we need to have a little bit more, um, you know, 
in line so that we can, you know, be able to quickly, you know, change our, our, our model, you know, so go from more of a standard long-term care model to providing more care for individuals that need it. So, you know, a lot, a lot of work was done around, you know, um, improving our, our structures, adding positions. Um, but all that to say is that you, you add a position, but if you have no one to fill it, um, it doesn't help very much. But I, I, I have to say, though, that there's a lot since the outbreaks and since COVID, there's a, been a lot more focus on long-term care and we have gotten some really great staff. How, how much still do you have to do to get it to where it should be? So we're definitely not full capacity in the sense that, you know, not all our positions are, are filled. Um, depending on the site, depending on, um, you know, what, what home we're talking about, I would say that on average for registered nurses, we have um, a vacancy rate probably between 30 and 40%, which is quite high. Um, and we have many strategies in place in order to, you know, try to curb that and, you know, I'm trying to think outside of the box. So now what? Uh, what are you expecting to do? And have you are you already waiting for the rules or are you already have you already taken action and so what is that um earlier this week we we've had multiple uh conversations about how we're going to move this forward and some of the things being you know limiting group sizes for for activities um you know making sure that mask wearing is is mandatory for even uh the clients of the home which in the ministerial guidelines is not something that's necessarily required if they're within their groupings so there's little things like this that we've already ramped up in anticipation of what's going on um, and I think that's a, that that's a reflection of how closely we work with our infection control teams and 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 how much and how how much importance we put on those guidelines and 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 how we've learned from you know the first and 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 the second waves and how important these things are. Over 225 residents of Jewish nursing homes in Canada have died of COVID, according to statistics kept by journalist Nora Laredo. Aside from Maimonides, the hardest hit were the Jewish elder care facility in Montreal. They lost 58 people. Hamilton's Shalom Village lost 17. 147 Elder Street in Toronto lost 16. And Toronto's Baycrest and the hospital lost 12. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Gary Capellas and his family, who lost their father Jerry a few weeks ago. Jerry was 92. He was a child survivor of the Holocaust from Lodz, Poland. He survived four years in the ghetto, two death camps, a forced march, and working as a teenage slave laborer. Jerry was a well-known speaker from the Newberger Holocaust Center in Toronto. I recommend that you read the incredible poem that his daughter wrote as part of the funeral announcements. The link is in our show notes. And we'll close today's episode with a sneak peek at an upcoming show. There are some new promising tests and treatments out there for Alzheimer's disease. And we'll talk to a specialist about how they work, why she's excited, and how soon Health Canada is expected to approve it. And we will look at the accuracy. And so far, the accuracy is very high. So we're feeling very confident that a ReadySpec scan, non-invasive, less expensive, more scalable scan, might be able to do as well as the PET scan or a spinal tap in the future. So the validation study is going on. 